the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome. You are listening to Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston, New England's oldest African-American church. Hope and Faith Ministry features the inspirational sermons of my father, Dr. Wesley Roberts, Senior Pastor at People's Baptist Church. We're so glad you're here. Dr. Roberts has a powerful message of hope and love for your life and mine. Now enjoy this broadcast of Hope and Faith Ministry, brought to you from People's Baptist Church of Boston. The title of the message today is Divine Rules for Godly Living. Divine Rules for Godly Living. We're dealing specifically with James chapter 1, 19 through 21. Most of us are familiar with the saying, God gave us two ears and one mouth so that we would listen twice as much as we speak. Unfortunately, most of us tend to speak much more than we listen. Consequently, we often fail to hear what others are saying. Though we hear the words, we don't hear what is said. Worse yet, when we do hear the words, we too often react impulsively to what we thought we heard and quickly get angry. Thus James found it necessary to confront this persistent condition among the people of God by establishing rules for a godly life. So let us explore for a moment, what James is saying to us. And the first rule is, be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. James 1 and verse 19, my dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen. We should be quick to listen as a general rule, but there are things we should avoid listening to. For example, we shouldn't listen to gossip, to tales about others that are both unsubstantiated and unflattering. We should also avoid listening to jokes and lyrics which, we, which use filthy language or which treat the sacred as something vulgar. Laughter is good for for us and is medicine for the soul. And there is a place for genuine humor uh, in life. But as Christians, we need to be careful about what we listen to because it will affect us in one way or another. The point I'm trying to make is that the rule, be quick to hear, does not apply to all circumstances and to every possible situation. But it is a good rule. We all need to be good listeners. The story is told of uh, President Franklin D. Roosevelt, 
uh, who often endured long receiving lines at the White House during his presidency. He complained that no one really paid any attention to what was being said. So one day during a reception, he decided to try an experiment. To each person who came down the line and shook his hand, he mumbled, I murdered my grandmother this morning. And the guests responded with phrases like, marvelous, keep up the good work. We are proud of you. God bless you. It was not until the end of the line, while greeting the ambassador from Bolivia, that his words were actually heard. The ambassador leaned over and whispered, I'm sure she had it coming. We all need to cultivate the virtue of being a good listener. Being a good listener is a wonderful quality. But even though the virtue of being a good listener is obvious, I don't believe that this is exactly what James is talking about. Being quick to hear is not referring to our listening skills, but rather to how we respond to the word of God. The specific application of James chapter 1 and verse 19 seems to be like this. Let every one of us be quick to listen to the word of God. Be quick to listen to what God is saying to us in the scriptures. So the preceding verse, verse 18, uh, says, in his goodness he chose to make us his own children by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his choice possession. You see, when we read the words, are quick to listen in verse 19, it is not referring primarily to a person who is a good listener, but rather to someone who is quick to hear the word of God. So in verse 22, uh, James says, Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So we are to have ears to hear the word of God, which is the agent of change in our lives. The word quick is referring to someone who is eager and attentive to receive and assimilate the message heard. But I'm not sure that this is what characterizes a lot of Christians today. There's not a single professing Christian who is not at some point um, lacking in eagerness or attentiveness or readiness to hear the word of the Lord. So what are some of the excuses we make for not being uh, in church on a Sunday to hear the word of God? Family is coming, so we cannot go. We need to be home to entertain them. We are tired, and we need to sleep in because this is the only day I can do it. And so we cannot attend the instruction of the word. Our children have soccer practice or baseball or basketball game or dance recital, and therefore we cannot attend the instruction of the word. So though we have a thousand excuses, there are few good reasons why we should not attend to the instruction of the word of God. James says we should be quick to hear. 
It's a good rule for us to be quick to hear the word, to listen to the voice of God speaking through his word. But the second rule is be slow to speak. Be slow to speak. James 1.19 again says, My brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak. Now, there are times when not to speak would be a sin of omission. There are opportunities to speak a word of witness regarding our Lord Jesus Christ and his saving mercy and grace. There are times when we need to say a word of thanks, a word of testimony, a word of encouragement, a word of warning, a word of exhortation, and a word of truth spoken in love. However, we should, as a, as a general rule, be slow to speak. You see, our ears will seldom get us into trouble, but our mouth will. Think of the misery and heartache that could be avoided if we were more willing to listen than we are to speak. Too many times we assume that we are in a position to speak when we haven't received all of the facts of the situation. Be certain that you know all of the circumstances before you make sweeping statements. Check the source of your information before you repeat the negative things gossipers tell you. It's amazing how little we know or understand before we begin to speak. Some of us are affected with the craving to be incessantly chattering, and someone describes this as hoof-and-mouth disease. In Proverbs chapter 10 and verse, and verse 19, James says, Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. And then in Proverbs 17 and verse uh, 27 and 28, uh, he says, A truly wise person uses few words. A person with understanding is even-tempered. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. Amen. People, as a rule, can't control their tongues, according to James, that it is um, very difficult for us to, to control our tongue. But when we as Christians do control our tongues, this demonstrates to people the power of the gospel. It gives people concrete evidence that Jesus can tame the untamable and that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. The Reverend Alan Redpath, in his book, A Passion for Preaching, says he once formed a mutual encouragement group at a time of stress in one of his pastorates. The members of the group subscribed to a very simple formula applied before speaking of any person or subject that was controversial. And the formula was this. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? 
Is it necessary? Is it kind? And Reverend Redpath said, if what he was about to say did not pass these tests, he would keep his mouth shut. And it worked. It was Charles Swindle who said, if you don't say it, they can't repeat it. So be careful what you say and to whom you say it. Henry Lesser in Teamwork magazine says, in the course of your conversation each and every day, think twice. Try to be careful of what you have to say. Your remarks may be picked up by someone's listening ear. You may be surprised at what some people think they hear. Things that you innocently say or try to portray can be changed and greatly exaggerated along the way. Many stories change for the worse as they are retold. So try to keep any questionable remarks quote, on hold. When you speak of others, say something nice. Try to say good things, regardless of who is around. If you have nothing good to say, don't utter a sound. Good advice, and we should heed to it. Let us remember the words of, of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12, verses 36 and 37. And I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. James would have us listen attentively and speak carefully. But the third rule is be slow to become angry. Be slow to become angry. In uh, James 1, 19 and 20, in the New Living Translation, second edition, we read, Understand this, dear brothers and sisters. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God deserves or desires. Anger is a God-given emotion. So if you don't get angry at some point, check your pulse because you are not in touch with reality. You see, feeling angry is neither good nor bad, but is rather a natural reaction that occurs whenever your self-esteem or your self-respect is hurt or threatened. Notice that James does not say, don't get angry. He says, be slow to get angry. You see, we are emotional beings and we are allowed to feel our feelings. We love to deny we are angry because we feel guilty about it. Or we are afraid of what we might do if we admitted to being angry. Now, have you heard uh, anyone said, I'm not yelling, I'm not angry, with veins popping out all over. So I'd say, go ahead and admit it. I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm upset, I'm frustrated. The first step in controlling your temper is admitting 
that you are angry. In the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs has much to say about anger. In Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29, we read, Those who control their anger have great understanding. Those with a hasty, it's a a hasty, not nasty, with a hasty temper will make mistakes. That was probably a a good slip there in in, 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 in typing it up. And then in, in Proverbs 15, verse 18, he says, A hot tempered person fights. A cool-tempered person stops them. And in Proverbs 29 and verse 11, fools vent their anger, but we, the wise, quietly hold it back. James says that the Christian should be slow to become angry because he knows the harm that can come when we lose our temper. It's a flying into a rage may give momentary release to your feelings, but it tramps all over the feelings of others. You may rationalize, well, once I get it out of my system, it's all over, and I don't hold any grudges. Perhaps so. But where is the regard for the other person? Some of the hurt your anger causes may be irreparable. We say such awful things, when we are angry. That must be the reason that Thomas Jefferson used to advise, when angry, count to ten before you speak. If very angry, count to a hundred. Inability to control your temper is a mark of immaturity, childishness. A child gets what he or she wants by throwing temper tantrums. A a four- or five-year-old boy was with his mother at the supermarket. He started to whine when his mother refused to allow him to sit in the shopping cart. His mother was ignoring him, but finally turned and said harshly, No, you are too old to ride in the cart. Now you just walk like a little gentleman. Well... The little gentleman sat down in the middle of the aisle and started yelling. But not for long, because Mama came running and said, All right, all right, just this once. And she lifted him up and placed him in the cart. No wonder the, child, the child's rule is, when everything else fails, throw a temper tantrum. Some people carry this same flight plan right over into their 40s and 50s and 60s. You notice that I didn't say that they brought it into adulthood because these are the folks who never quite become adults when it comes to their temper. All of us know adults who are really just small children. The temper tantrum of flying off a handle is one of the sure signs uh, such persons never grow up. They are still trying the tricks that got them attention when they were four years old. The Apostle Paul said, when I became a man, I put away childish things. But obviously, a lot of people haven't done that. 
I said earlier that not all anger is wrong. Not all anger is sinful. Not all anger is misplaced. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, 26 and 27, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. The New King James, King James Version says, be angry and do not sin. So how do you become angry without sinning? It is, it is not becoming angry because someone insulted you or wounded your pride. You become angry without sinning when your anger is directed against acts that violate the gospel, that go against the grain of Christian compassion, or which affronts God and hurts other people. We would be angry, or we should be angry, in that in our nation, racism is still a problem in spite of having a black president. We should be angry that there are still hungry children in this incredibly rich and blessed country. We should be angry that corporate greed led to homes being sold to poor families at inflated prices resulting in foreclosures. There are any number of things that call for our moral outrage and our righteous indignation. But let's be honest. Maybe I'm speaking for myself here, but I have a feeling that most of our anger does not fall into the category of righteous indignation. I would venture to guess that the vast majority of cases of our anger is a result of having our self-interest violated in some way or another. You see, the letter of James is more of a sermon than a letter. In it, he is intent on reminding Christians how they ought to live once they have claimed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so he says in verse 21, So get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. James is being very blunt with his, with his readers. He is speaking to people who are part of the church, people who have given their lives to Christ, people who are claiming the name Christian, people who ought to know these things already. So what do we do about our anger? Let it go. Quit keeping lists of the ways that you have been injured by others. Don't continue to catalog the ways you have been hurt. See, when we rehearse and replay the injustices which have been done to us, we continue to live in the past. The grudge never heals if we keep picking at it. We need to let go of anger. If we don't, it will surely trigger bitterness and resentment. So name your anger, put it away, seek forgiveness, and begin living as those who have been forgiven. It is not God's will for us as Christians to constantly feel 
depressed and discouraged and defeated in our daily walk with him. It requires a genuine commitment from us if we are to obtain and maintain spiritual victory on a regular basis. We must be determined to live in the shadow of the cross, to resist the power of the devil, to overcome the temptations to sin, to fully obey the word of God, to trust the Lord for his help, and to stand firmly upon God's promises. I believe that God wants us to enjoy spiritual victory regardless of the burdens we must bear, regardless of the temptations we must resist, or the trials we must face, or the problems we must solve, or the battles we must fight, or the situations we must deal with, or the hardships we must encounter. Remember that God has all power in his hands. And he can do for us exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. So if you have a problem, he has a solution. If you have a question, he has an answer. If you have a disease, he has a cure. If you have a crisis, he has a needed miracle. And if you have a thorn in the flesh, he has sufficient grace. He is almighty God. And there is nobody like him. So trust him, my brothers and sisters. Amen. Thank you for joining us here at Hope and Faith Ministry, a broadcast of the historic People's Baptist Church in Boston. We pray that you have been touched and inspired by today's message. People's Baptist Church is a Christ-centered, caring church located at 134 Camden Street at the corner of Camden and Tremont Streets. Our Sunday services are at 8 a.m. and at 1045 a.m. You can reach us at 617-427-0424. Come visit us in person or on the web at www.pbcboston.org. And tune in every Saturday morning at 1030 for another inspiring message of hope and faith. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.